10 and under junior church 10 and under junior church that just means they're going to go and play I have to stand up here and preach they get to go and actually do fun stuff bye guys well, we are in the, um, the fifth week of our sermon series called Prophets, Priests, and Kings. Uh, we're going to be talking about two notable priests today. We're going to be talking about uh, Eli and Samuel. Uh, these guys are uh, uh, sort of prolific at the beginning of the monarchy of the nation of Israel. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about Eli first uh, and just some, pull some, some lessons out of Scripture that I believe that as Christians we can, we can learn from both the example of these two gentlemen but then also uh, really some of the things they did wrong. So what you need to know is that Eli uh, was a priest. In fact, he was the high priest at the time. He was the most influential uh, man uh, in the uh, sort of the kingdom at the time. He was the one that could go into the presence of God on that one day a year. He was the man uh, that everyone looked to to hear the voice of God. He was sort of the it person. He was a direct descendant uh, of Aaron, who was the first high priest. And so uh, his line of family was important, and he was this great guy, and everyone looked to him. Uh, But what you need to know uh, really is about uh, his two sons. Uh, And and so you know, I'll change it up here on my iPad. You don't have to change it on the computer. I'll change it up here on my iPad. Uh, So he has has these two sons, and I think their names are hilarious. Uh, Hophany, isn't that a fun name to say? Don't name your kids Hophany. And and, and Phineas. I think Phineas is a fine name. Uh, But, 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 he has these two sons, and I'm making light of their names because really uh, they were priests in the temple themselves. So their dad was the high priest, and so they had the function of a priest as well. And so they were doing stuff, but these two gentlemen were evil. They were, were, were bad guys. Um, what Scripture tells us uh, is what they, one of the things they were doing is they would go into the temple as people were trying to sacrifice, uh, and they would actually take the best cuts of meat for themselves and not allow people to sacrifice to God. I, I want you to imagine that for a second. I want to imagine that you're a priest, and your job is to make sure that the sacrifices go to God and, and that they're done in the correct way, the proper way, so that everyone's happy. Uh, and instead of doing that, what you do is you come and you say, Man, that, that looks that looks pretty good down there. That looks okay. Some of you aren't imagining this. Let's put this into a 21st century context. I'm uh, doing the function of a priest. I'm telling you about the nature of character of God. You guys just brought an offering to God. I'm going to take this now. What, what would you think of me? You'd think I was a thief. You'd think that I was a bad person. You'd think that I was betraying the, the trust that, uh, that God has put in me to steward your resource, resources correctly. There's a whole number of things. This is what Eli's sons were doing. They were going in, and, and, and I know it's, a, oh, it's just, it's just cuts of meat. Really, is it that bad? Yeah, that meat was meant for the Lord. That, that, that was something that was supposed to be given for the glory of God. And, and here's, here's a lesson that we can pull from these, to these two gentlemen. There are things in your lives that were given to you so that you could sacrifice them to the Lord. There are things in your life, there are talents that you have, there are treasures that you have, there is time that you have that God has given you that he means for you to give that back to him. And some of us are robbing, robbing the offering plate by not following through. Some of us have sacrifices that we need to go through, things that we need to give over to God, and we're not doing it, and we're actually robbing directly from the offering plate. And we need to think about that in in a very real sense. Um, 
What is it? What is the gift that you've got? And are you using it correctly for the Lord? We've got a few people here, and I'm actually glad that Cindy thanked the, the worship team. Uh, they've got gifts in music, and, and that's something that God has given them. It's not because they're so awesome and hot stuff. Right? It's not because they're the next Elton John. David could be. I don't know. Um, he, just need, he just needs to cut a few singles. He'll be fine. But he's here, and he doesn't just... This is something you need to know. It's not just something that he does on Sunday morning. He also comes to the worship rehearsal on Wednesday night. There's more than just what goes up here in, in, in the 15 minutes that you see on Sunday morning. There's a lot that goes on behind, and that time, which we talked about last week, that time is the most precious resource that any of us have because it's the only thing that we can't get back. And it's a sacrifice to the Lord. So that, that was one of the things that they were doing. Um, the other thing that they were doing is they were actually committing adultery to the women who were serving in the temple courts. They were going out there and using their position to essentially force women to sleep with them. Okay? In, in today's society, what we call it, that's actually a peer pressure rape. Because they thought, these women thought that they were doing the right thing because these priests who represented God, who was the voice of God, who we offer sacrifices to and they're in charge of that, they come out and they say, hey, if you want to get into God's graces, you know what you should do? You should sleep with me. These guys were evil. And here's what Scripture says, um, and, and this is what's really kind of even more disturbing me about this. Eli, their father, knew what they were doing and did nothing. There's a famous quote that says, uh, the only thing necessary for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. Have you ever heard that, that quote? It, it, it's throughout Scripture, and this principle right here jumps out at you, that sometimes the only thing that we need to do to let evil to flourish is to do nothing. A lot of times what we like to do is stick our heads in the sand and say, no, don't, I'm not going to, to, it doesn't concern me, it's none of my business, I don't need to say anything, I just don't rock the boat, don't, don't create waves, just sort of like, let's just go in our direction, everything's fine, and evil is over here and it's happening and we're doing nothing to stop it. And, and, and so uh, it doesn't matter, uh, I believe it doesn't matter um, um, really what the evil is, if you can identify something as evil, if you can identify something as immoral or unethical, I believe as Christians we have the responsibility to speak out about it. And Eli, who is the high priest, the guy who literally once a year goes into the presence of the most holy God, does nothing. Because they're his sons. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is discipline within a family structure. Now that, that could be you as if you've got kids or if you've got grandkids that you're taking care of. Sometimes the most difficult thing to do to discipline, listen, we're a family here and sometimes the hardest thing to do within the church is, is for the church to discipline one another when they see someone doing the wrong thing. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But when you see someone misquoting scripture or, or uh, you see someone who's misapplying scripture, the Bible says it's actually our responsibility as, as part of the church family to go up with them and in love... Don't forget that bit because a lot of Christians like to forget that in love bit. But it's our job to correct people. That's, that's why First uh, Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed. He's useful for teaching and rebuking. Rebuking is a, is a harsh word, I get you. But all it means is me going up to you and saying, hey, this is what I see in Scripture. This is how I see you behaving. There's a mismatch. Like, what's going on? And, and having a conversation and talking about it. Sometimes what we can do, we can actually do more damage to a person's eternal soul by not saying something and allowing them to continue on in a state of sin. And that's exactly what Eli here did. 
the sons continued their uh, sinful behavior. Then later on in the, in the passage that uh, Cindy read for us, you heard that God essentially was going to promise a new thing. He said, uh, I'm going to do something that will make your ears tingle, which I think is a fantastic phrase that we need to bring back. I'm going to do something so fantastic, it'll make your ears tingle. And God says it's going to start with the removal of the people who are committing and the people who are essentially saying it's okay to sin. Because when God wants to do something fantastic and he wants to do something great, the first thing he's going to do is remove the sinful obstacles. And if we're the sinful obstacles, it means that God's going to remove us. That should be scary. That should be something that gives us pause uh, in what we're doing to make sure that what we're doing is actually in accordance with the word of God. And so Samuel, uh, several years later, prophesied that Eli, uh, to Eli that Eli and his family would be punished for these, this and all the male descendants dying before reaching uh, old age. Uh, Eli was also told that on the day that his two sons died, Eli himself would also die. Uh, that it was going to be an entire package. And what we actually read in Scripture, if we continue the story, is that Israel is actually um, uh, involved in a conflict with the, the Philistines still. This is a, a war uh, long before uh, David appears on the scene and he's going to destroy uh, and kill the, the giant uh, Goliath. Uh, they're at war for about 40 years. This is a long period of time. They're at war. Uh, and so something happens. The, the Philistines attack, and I've got it written here, just a brief summary. Uh, some years later, when Samuel was an adult, the Philistines attacked, eventually capturing the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites and killing Eli's sons who were accompanying the Ark to battle as priests. And so what would happen is when the nation of Israel went to battle, they believed that the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence came down and rested. And if they brought that into battle, God was going with them and they couldn't lose. And they thought that because that's what uh, had happened when they had actually conquered the promised land under uh, uh, Joshua. Uh, they brought the Ark of the Covenant with them. Uh, their stories of it zapping people down dead who shouldn't be, you know, and, and giving them strength and giving them power and giving them that, that sort of oomph to, to carry on the battle. Uh, and so the, these guys think, you know, let's take the Ark of the Covenant. And now, no Nowhere in Scripture does it say that they prayed to God first. They sought the face of the Lord first, that they wanted to know what His will was for their lives. They thought, you know, God's done it in the past, let's just, He'll do it again. Let's just grab this thing and go. And so these two evil sons decide that they're going to accompany the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And you know what happens? They die. God doesn't go with them. And sometimes that's, that's a sobering thought. That if you, you're trying to do the will of God through your own power and your own strength without seeking the face of God, it's not a guarantee that he's going to go with you. And that, that's, that, can be, that can sound really harsh, but I, I want you to understand this, that as Christians, it's our responsibility to do the will of God, to follow his calling on our lives, but to seek him to make sure that we're doing it the way he wants us to do. Too many times what we do is we get all riled up and we just decide, you know what, I'm going, I'm doing, we're going to get this done and it's going to be fantastic. And we run like a bull in a china shop and do it and then we realize that we've missed like six or seven steps back here. That means what we're doing over here is going to fail. Have you ever, ever tried to work with the government in anything like writing a contract, getting a contract done? There's like six or seven steps that you need to do before you even approach them and if you don't do it, you know what they're going to say to you? Go back. I'm not even going to read what you're doing. Just, just go back and do it the right way. And I think as Christians, oftentimes what we do is we get so uh, on fire or so, so, so 
amped up about what we're doing. We're going to just run and do it that we forget the most important part is you actually need to bring the presence of the Lord with you. They brought the Ark of the Covenant, but that wasn't the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord came down and rested on it. The Ark itself is just a box covered in gold made of acacia wood. That's all it is. It is nothing without the presence of the Holy God on it and in it. It's just a thing. And so they put their trust in a thing rather than the God that they were supposed to be worshipping. And they die. And what happens is um, when the Ark of the Covenant uh, goes into battle and the priests around it die, the Philistines said, you know what, that's a great looking trophy. We're going to grab that. We're going to haul it off into our, our temple. We're going to put it in our temple where we worship our God and the Israelites aren't going to have it. And a, and a messenger ran back to the, the uh, uh, priest Eli uh, who was sitting on a chair in, his, uh, in, 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 his, uh, in the temple. Uh, and the, the messenger says, Eli, not only have they taken the, the Ark of the Covenant, but your two sons are dead. And it says that in shock, Eli actually uh, fell backwards in his chair and snapped his neck. Kids... Your chair has four feet. They all stay on the floor. Next time your parents tell you it's got four feet to keep all four of them on the ground, don't be glib. That's how Eli died. Literally, people have died by not keeping their chair feet on the ground. I don't know what was more shocking to Eli, whether it was his sons dying, whether it was the Ark of the Covenant being stolen, or the fact that he remembered Samuel's prophecy that said, on the same day that your sons die, you're going to die too. Or maybe all three, three things combined. He falls over in his chair and he dies. And that's a harsh concept sometimes for us to get, that sin has consequences. We've talked about this before. I know I rail on it all the time. But just because you're forgiven of your sins doesn't mean that you're then free from the consequences of your actions. Uh, something that we don't really talk about in today's society is that actions have consequences. You do something wrong, there are consequences for your actions. I have a friend, I'm not going to call him out, but he was speeding. I didn't say who it was. And as he's speeding on the road, a police officer came up behind him, probably gave him a ticket, I don't know. The ticket is the consequences of his actions. Does God forgive him for breaking the law? Absolutely he does. You go to the face of God and you repent for your actions and say, God, I'm truly sorry. You're forgiven of sin. You're not free from the consequences. And so Eli, even though he was the high priest of God, was not free from the consequences of his inaction. So in reaction to the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, Eli fell backwards out of his chair and died from a broken neck. There's more to this story. The, the Ark of the Covenant sat in the temple. Uh, the Philistines worshipped a god. His name was Dagon. Um, he was a weird god, half man, half fish. It was kind of strange. Uh, and, and the Philistines brought the Ark of the Covenant in uh, into his temple and put it in front of the statue of their God saying uh, uh, with their, their God statue being elevated above it the Ark of the Covenant is subservient we've conquered the Israelites their God must be worthless in front of our God and so they went away and they, they came back the next day and what they had actually found is that the, 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 that statue of Dagon had, had fallen on its face in front of the Ark of the Covenant 
They said, man, that's weird, because we didn't have an earthquake last night. So they picked it back up, and they put it back on the pedestal, and they went away. And the next morning when they came back in, not only had it fallen off again, but it also had broken off its hands and feet. And the Philistines did one of the, the not strangest things, but they did one of the wisest things that a, a, a pagan nation has ever really done in Scripture. They said, we don't want this thing. Clearly, their God is actually stronger than our God. We don't want it here. So they put it on, the, on, a, on a cart, lashed it to some donkeys, and sent the donkeys in the direction of Israel and just said, we're off this thing. We don't want to touch it. They said, they said that their God is clearly stronger than ours. And so, so Eli's life was filled with disappointment. It was filled with his son's doing evil things and him just sitting back and not really correcting it. Then Samuel came into his life and he thinks he's maybe raising a replacement, someone who's going to be better than his sons. And then at the age of 10, Samuel prophesies. And we're going to actually get to that in, in, in this next part here. Now we're going to get a little bit into the life of, of Samuel. Um, he hears this prophecy that he's going to die. And then you've got to imagine that for the next... 40 years, whatever the time period was, he was sitting there waiting, is this the day? Is this the day that I, the consequences for my actions are catching up to me? Is this the day? Is this the day? One of the things that we don't really talk about is, is when we sin and it's, and it's unrepented and it's still sitting there, it sort of sits like a, a, a ticking time bomb behind us. We never really know when that secret sin is going to explode. Um, I can tell you this much. Sin, it doesn't matter how it starts, if it starts out as a secret, sin doesn't stay secret for very long. It usually comes up to the surface pretty quickly. And you've got to imagine Eli sitting by the, the temple gate, just saying, is this the day? Is this the day? But let's move on to Samuel, because he's a slightly more happy story. Samuel uh, is, the, is a miracle baby. There was this woman. Her name was Hannah. She was barren. She goes into the temple and she, she prays. And if, you don't, uh, if you've never read it, please read the, the book of 1 Samuel, the first couple of chapters, and actually read Hannah's prayer. It's too long, really, for me to go through point by point, but it's a beautiful prayer. Um, re- read it when you have the chance. But she prays that God gives her a child, and she says, if God gives me a child, I'm going to give that child back to him. And so Samuel was conceived and born, and Hannah did what she, was, what she had promised she was going to do, how difficult it was. She said, I'm going to dedicate this baby to the Lord. He will become a priest. And so Samuel went into the care of Eli, uh, and everything is going well um, uh, until one night uh, uh, when, when Samuel is about 10 at night, as you do, they're asleep. Do you guys sleep at night? I sleep at night. Nikki is fond of saying that when I'm asleep, I'm really asleep and that a bomb could go off and it wouldn't wake me up. Are you a heavy sleeper like that? I think Samuel might have been, Eli might have been, I really don't know, but they're asleep in the temple, in the, in the temple quarters, and Samuel hears uh, a voice and at first, he, he doesn't realize who it was. It was someone calling his name. And now, if you're alone in a house with one other person and you hear someone calling your name, what do you do? You assume that's the, that's the person who's calling you, right? And so he goes, all right, oh, Eli's calling me. I must have a job to do. That's weird. It's, it's past my bedtime. It's past his bedtime. Let's go figure it out. And so he goes over and he wakes up Eli and says, Eli, what's going on? Why did you call me? And Eli, I imagine, is a little bit like myself, grumpy when first woken up. Uh, if, if you don't appear with a coffee in your hand as a way of, a, of an offering for appeasing me, I'm going to be very wrathful when I wake. 
that's me. I imagine Eli might have been something similar. I don't know. I don't know what the Bible is. The Bible's silent on the issue. But Eli says, Samuel, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Samuel, Samuel, I'm going back to bed. All right, fine. Whatever. And he goes back into his bedroom, and he falls back asleep, and he hears the voice again. He goes, oh, no, this time Eli must be calling me. He goes and wakes Eli again. Now, I don't know how grumpy you get after you've been woken up once, but it's, it, once you've been woken up twice for no reason, like, it's a big thing, right? Like, I, are you all asleep here? Can I get an amen? If, if anyone else is a little bit grumpy when you're first woken up. All right. And so Eli's woken up a second time. He says, it wasn't me. Go back. And then uh, uh, Eli goes back and he falls asleep and he hears it again. And he comes back and he says, Eli, like, this is getting ridiculous. Why are you calling me? And Eli has this moment of realization. It's not me calling you. It must be God. Here's the reality. Sometimes God is calling us. And we're so stuck in our own circumstances that we don't really hear the voice of God or we don't identify it as the voice of God. We think it's something else. And that can be very dangerous and very heartbreaking because it means we can miss out on the blessings of God because we ignore it. We don't listen to the voice of God. We don't identify it. And so maybe we don't follow through. And so what Eli says, uh, he actually comes uh, and says uh, to Samuel, "When, when you hear the voice of the Lord say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's a reminder that sometimes the most important thing that we can do as Christians is actually shut up and listen to the voice of God. Is that we sometimes need to be silent and block out all of the noise. We live in a noisy world. Everything wants your attention all the time. Um, Everything from social media to work to family, everything wants every second of your time because it's a valuable resource. And sometimes what we need to do is shut it all off and shut it all out and simply seek the face of God and find out what his voice has for us. And so Samuel says these words, Here I am for you called me, or speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that's where that prophecy occurred. Samuel, at 10 years old, is told that his mentor, his master, the person who is teaching him, who's training him, his life has a, a, there's a light, there's a timer on his life that he's going to pass away and he's going to pass away the same as his children are going to pass away and that their family is actually going to be wiped from existence. That no one's going to remember who they are, that their entire family lineage is going to end with these guys. That's a little bit heavy for a 10-year-old, no? Can you imagine that conversation that Eli and Samuel has in the morning? Over breakfast, maybe? I don't know. Bacon and eggs? I don't know. Well, not bacon, clearly. That must have been difficult. Sometimes when you listen to the word of the Lord, he's going to give you a difficult message that you have to convey. Sometimes the message that God has for you, the responsibility that he wants you to do, the thing that he wants you to do, is going to be a lot more difficult than maybe you think you can handle. The lesson from the life of Samuel is to simply say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Because I firmly believe this, God is not going to ask you anything that through his power you can't accomplish. His power is the important part there, right? If you run off 
do your own thing. Don't seek the face of the Lord. Don't pray. Don't listen to his voice. Don't heed his counsel. Don't read his word. Don't try and do it if you try and do it all by yourself. You're going to fail. It may look like success for a little bit, but I guarantee some the, the wheels are going to fall off the wagon. And what Samuel does, he says, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And what we need to do as, as Christians, I firmly believe as Christians, is we need to get our own house in order before we start trying to fix what's out there. And for us, what that means is cutting out the noise and seeking after the face of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the time you've given us to come into your presence and to worship you. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us can learn these lessons from the life of Eli and Samuel that we can learn that we don't just run off and do things that do things our way, that instead we be calm in our spirit and we seek your face in the silence so that we can truly hear your voice, so that we can pray, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then, Lord, I pray that after we hear your voice, that you infill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we go out to accomplish the things that you have laid before us, that we're not doing it in our own strength, but rather we're doing it in the strength of the Lord. Lord, we love you and we we pray these things this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.